everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. This is your DC Spotlight for the week of January. Holding down the fort last week. I was really, really sick. Uh, I hope none of you out there have the flu because it's absolutely terrible this year. Never been that sick in my life. But uh, I guess it was kind of a good week to be sick because I got to admit that, I, you know, I read the books. I, I just didn't think they were very good last week. Uh, especially... <laughs> Mostly the art. I don't know what was going on with the art, but the art almost from top to bottom last week just had this unfinished feel to it, this rushed feel. I don't know if it was, you know, people trying to get stuff done before the holidays or what have you. Even the Neil before Zod book, what I was really looking forward to, I thought the art was only okay. Um, but anyway, that was last week. This is this week. Uh, and there are some decent books this week. And uh, yeah, I thought overall pretty good pretty good we get the first iteration of uh jason aaron on action comics teen titans is uh or titans beast worlds marching on outsiders was interesting this week so uh what do you think rocky overall this week yeah this was this week was better than last week i i enjoyed there's uh well there's there's actually uh three i was underwhelmed by uh but the you know most of them uh there's you know, there was fun to be had, and and there was uh, there was two in particular that I, I liked more than most, and uh, yeah, and, and we'll get into it. And there's one uh, I'm I- interested to hear your thoughts when we get to the backup of Green Lantern dealing with Korg, the future Sinister Son, and how it might overlap. How it I I think there's some interesting dichotomies between Lore, uh, the son of uh, General Zod, and so uh, that's that's what I found the most interesting uh from uh in terms of where the future might be headed for those characters uh but you know um yeah we'll get into it so it's an interesting week this week interesting yeah we'll kick it off with batman and robin number five from writer joshua williamson nicholas samegia on art rex locus on color steve wands on letters uh you know we talked a lot about this book and the and the art speaking of art simone de mayo is a talented artist but his art just hasn't worked for me on this book uh, this Nicholas Samedja arts looking is working a lot better. Uh, and, and I sort of feel like this is even a step up for Samedja. So used to his art looking more esoteric and a lot of times his art is uh, in black and white. This one's colored. I think that adds uh, a lot to it. There are some, some texture, I won't say issues, but, um, just, in, in terms of texture, you know, we have that ink splash thing that is all the rage these days uh, at various times throughout, which is, you know, it works to varying effects. Uh, I do feel like it does work better with, with brighter colors when it isn't mudding up the page. The other thing about it is you can really see the manga influence in his art, uh, especially when it comes to facial expressions. So, you know, that's just, it is what it is. If, if that's not your particular cup of tea, well, then, you know, that's just, again, the way that it goes. But overall, I'm enjoying this um, more so than I have when it first kicked off. Part of it being that there's not that weird sort of timing where it doesn't mesh up personality-wise with what's going on with Batman and Robin and Gotham War. That's all sort of in the past uh, to some extent. Does it match up perfectly uh, continuity-wise with what's going on in Batman? Eh, probably not. Um, 
But I hope you guys all got a chance to listen to my interview I did with Chip Zdarsky last week. Um, I was right before I, I really was feeling terrible, although I'm sure you can hear it in my interview. But my voice is starting to go. But anyway, he talks about Batman being, a, you know, really a full-time job and, and how it's it's difficult at times to really match up everything, you know, canonically and chronologically with where Batman is and where – uh, other characters might be, whether it be Robin or or whomever. So you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is. But I do enjoy Shush. I do enjoy how this is tying back into um, to the past of Damian Wayne and his training and what have you. And I'm enjoying the interaction that Williamson's giving us between Bruce and Damian. I mean, this is a Batman and Robin title. So it's great that we're getting some dynamics and some personality, some interactions when they're out of the costume, not just when they're in the costume. So uh, overall, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I thought this was a solid issue. What are your thoughts, Rocky? Well, I thought it was a little bit of a boring issue, actually. I mean, because I, I didn't find that necessarily all that much happened. But I guess there was some fun moments where, where Bruce Wayne, it, it is kind of funny to see, imagine Bruce Wayne going for preparing teacher day or, you know, showing up and volunteering at the school where Damien's at. It's kind of funny. It's, it, I think it's, it's come back to haunt Bruce Wayne. He wants uh, Batman insists that Damien go to school. And uh, especially now that one of his teachers might be uh, one of his former teachers, Mistress Harsh. And of course they're looking for Shush and, uh, and, uh, uh, or so the, they, they want to get some more information on it. And of course, Bruce Wayne, of course, as, as the father, he's, he's there volunteering, handing out pancakes to the crowd. So there's some, uh, interesting, mo some fun moments there. Other mothers think Bruce Wayne is so hot, et cetera, et cetera. I wish, I know humor is difficult in comics. I wish it would have been some funnier moments. I didn't, I didn't think that it was as humorous as it, as it could have been. Uh, but I realized humor is difficult to pull off, but you know, that's, that's supposed to be being, you know, nitpicky, but I thought it, it had, it, it was cool to see Bruce Wayne volunteer for school, uh, volunteer at, at Damien's school. Meanwhile, Damien himself can't seem to find, uh, is trying to fit in and he's, Damien is of course, can't beat up his bullies. He's, I mean, the irony is that <laughs> it, it's kind of, uh, I kind of like what Williamson has done. Damien Wayne is, is actually the kid that actually does get picked on and, but he tolerates, but he doesn't really tolerate it. He does fight back, but he still gets picked on. But in a sense, it's, you know, most of the time when, 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 a, when a victim of a bully gets bullied, they get hurt. Damien doesn't really get hurt. He just gets pissed off, but he can't really do anything about it, which I think is kind of ironic. <laughs> but he kind of sort of does a little bit. And so I, I kind of like the, the, the restraint that that puts Damien on because really, no wonder Damien loves being Robin because he, he never really has to hold back. But he has to hold back when he's at school because, you know, it's funny when he's when he's Robin, when, when Damien Wayne is Robin, he can be unlikable. And other people cannot like him, and he can still he can still react sort of violently and beat up bad guys. But you can't do that in real life. I mean, if you're if you're an arrogant narcissistic jerk at school, or no one likes you, I mean, you got it. It's a different. It's not a battlefield. You know, the school is not a battlefield. School is a school, so you got to learn to get along. And so I, I sort of like the test that Damien has to go through. And also, he's Damien's school. He's used to having a mistress harsh teach him. He's used to the worst type of school where you're constantly fighting or you're it's violence or some other some other thing like that. So I thought it 
I kind of like that. And and I wish that Williamson would will, will continue to explore Damien in this foreign environment to him, namely a school, which I, th- I think he can have a lot of fun with, uh, more fun than he's currently having, quite frankly. But I, I like the fact that this there's a mystery here, you know, uh, especially at the end, there's this Victor Zaz's ch- uh, son appears to be in school and he's got some machinations uh, that Batman and Damien are concerned about uh, that they discover at the end. And we still don't know who Mr. Harsh is. We still don't know if the principal is one of Damien's former mistresses. I suspect Williamson is engaging in misdirection on that. Uh, so I'm kind of curious about that. So uh, on the one hand, while not a heck of a lot happened this issue, I kind of like the idea of of, da- of Williamson at least maybe planting some seeds for having fun with Damien in that new school environment and having that continue. And and to your earlier comments, I actually don't mind that this is disconnected uh, to the rest of the Batverse, even though it might feel a little bit out of sync for those of us who are reading all the Bat titles. Uh, I, I kind of like that this is its own world, just like I enjoy Ram V in his own world and certainly Jason Aaron when Batman is off world. So... Uh, but in any event, yeah, it's it was okay, but it was more of a meh issue. Yeah, it did feel a little bit like setup. You're right; there wasn't a ton of action, but I liked what it's setting up. I suppose. Uh, all right, up next we have Green Lantern number seven from writer Jeremy Adams. Art is by Amon K. Nahelipan. Colors by Romulo Fardo Jr. Letters by Dave Sharp. Bit of a flashback issue. We're seeing the events that that happened that took place right before Hal was. I guess, exiled back to Earth, uh, as it were. We see the United Planets taking the place of the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, or Guardians of the Universe, rather, uh, and uh, and saying, hey, Earth Earth just has too many problems. We're quarantining that. Uh, and they basically tell the, the, you know, Earthborn Green Lanterns, hey, you can get assigned to another sector, or you can give up your ring. Um, one of the things that I don't like about what's going on with DC cosmic right now. I, I, I don't like this portrayal of the United planets. Like, you know, United planets, you hear that you think Legion of superheroes, they were sort of this bureaucratic esoteric abstract organization in the 31st century in the, the Legion of superhero comics. They were a force for good. You don't really see them very often. I, I guess the most you ever saw them was colossal boy's mother. Uh, when she became president, um, and, and then you kind of sort of saw the bureaucratic politics of it, but for whatever reason, you know, in the pages, I, I guess because Bendis was writing uh, Legion of Superheroes and he was writing action comics, he decided, hey, I'm I'm gonna have them uh, the, the origins of the United Planet. I'm gonna tie it in with Superman action comics run, what have you. Ever since they've been formed, they've been like this backwater organization with like their head in the sand, right? Like either the members are doing something untoward that, you know, they're evil and they're hiding it and they're pulling the the wool over everybody's eyes or what have you, or they're just like tone deaf and like, they're just not, it's not good. It, the connotation of the organization is not good. I, I hate that. I hate that. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't it just be, okay, we created the United Planets. It's a benevolent organization. Let's not lose the forest for the trees. Let's not have it be some evil organization. Like that is so cliched and overdone at this point. Either don't have the United Planets in current DC timeline, save them for the 30th century and leave them as sort of this, you know, generic peacekeeping organization, 
or have them actually be effective and actually be a force for good. Otherwise, it's just it. How is it any different? How is this United Planets and what's going on right now any different than the organization that uh, that Rogel Czar worked for that, you know, supposedly had some ties into the destruction of crypto? How, how is it any different? It's just yet another one of these, you know, bureaucratic organizations that that people are pulling the wool over others eyes and doing evil. And like that story has been done to death. There's nothing original about it. There's nothing fun. It, it even extends to the Guardians of the Universe, right? Like this is no different than the Guardians of the Universe. Supposedly it's better. The Guardians have, are, have you know, taken themselves off the table. They're arrogant. They're out of touch. Uh, you know, they're no longer in charge of the Green Lantern Corps. Now we're going to get somebody else in charge and they're actually worse. They're actually worse than the Guardians of the Universe. Does anybody find this entertaining? Does anybody find this plot point interesting? Like I get it, you you want drama, you want tension, you want conflict. This is the wrong way to do it. This is just boring and derivative and done to death. I absolutely hate it. I absolutely hate it. In case you're not clear on that, <laughs> what and, was that? And don't, get me, and don't get me wrong. I blame none of this on Jeremy Adams. This is not his fault. This is what DC editorial is handing him. Bendis did his story and he left. Why? Why couldn't you just hey? We forgot a lot of stuff that Bendis did. This United Planets can just be another thing that we we forgot. Like, why is it carrying on? Why is it interesting? I don't know. I guess we'll find out at some point. But at least we know how Kilowog died now. I, I mean, that's the best thing that I can say. Like, I I I don't know. I don't know. This whole the, the whole cosmic corner of the DCU is is really messed up right now. Like it. it, it like think back to like the classic era, like, you know, people think, oh, Green Lantern, they think Jeff Johns, they think Blackest Night, like how fun and original that was. Yeah. This is the exact opposite of that. This is so derivative and it's just not fun. At the end of the day, I want to read comics to, uh, to, to escape and to have fun and to enjoy myself. I don't want to read about crappy politics. I get enough of that in real life. You know what I mean? So, yeah. although I, I'm enjoying the characterization that uh, Jeremy's giving to these characters, I really love that I got to see, you know, Guy Gardner and John Stewart and the interaction, Kyle Rayner, the interaction of uh, the Guardian uh, uh, Green Lantern Corps, because we don't get any of that with Hal kind of on his own on Earth. It was great to be able to see that. But at the end of the day, he's trapped on Earth. We don't know why. United Planets. Why do they exist? Why do they act the way they do? We don't know. I mean, hopefully Jeremy gets to do what he wants to do and he can kind of, if anybody can fix it, it's Jeremy. Like I have full faith in, in him, but yeah, United Planets, the, them showing up, their behavior, the the choices that they make, it, it just ruins this book for me. It, it just, it's, it's nonsensical. So huh. anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Maybe you enjoyed it more than me. The art's really strong. Uh, especially the, the colors and there's, there's humor again, the, the, you know, the writing itself, technically a very good comic. Um, it's just, yeah, unfortunately United planets just ruin it for me. So anyway, what are your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, well, I did enjoy it more than you. Uh, I'm, I'm less harsh over the choice of the United planets. I actually think that, uh, uh the, uh, I, I don't uh, view it as, uh, the, uh, the political angle of the United planets now being, being in charge of the Green Lantern Corps doesn't really bother me. It, it, we're just trading one. We are, in a sense, trading one 
administration, administrative body over another one. But I think the United Planets- one dysfunctional administration. Well, well, sure, but I mean, you could certainly make an argument that uh, another, uh, and then we've we've gotten all kinds of stories about our dysfunctional guardian guardians uh, of, of OA. So, uh, well, no, I realize that, but uh, United Planets, I think, allows for a more varied storytelling, more different, more different planets having a having an influence. Even in the pages of General Zod, Neil before Zod, uh, I think that there's more potential for it. We've, we saw corruption of the, of the United Planets in the War World saga. We've seen uh, potential weaknesses and administrative fra- frailties of the United Planets in the Neil before Zod. We, we see in the United Planets that we know is struggling to try to govern the galaxy. We know that they will have many ups and downs before ultimately reaching the 31st century. So in, in that respect, I don't, um, I see your point. I see your point. I, I do, and I don't. I'm just sort of indifferent about it. I I, it's, I'm, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm not as passionate about it as you do, but I, I certainly know where you're coming from. Uh, as as for the specifics of this issue, I really like that that Hal Jordan and Kilowog were sent to basically be body, bodyguards of the uh, Lord uh, Lord Theros, who is wants to negotiate uh, Karagar joining the United Planets, and of course, Hal Jordan has to be in a room with, while Sinestro. <laughs> uh, does all the talking to Lord Theros, and Hell's got to keep his mouth shut, but he can't. And and I love I love how uh, writer Jeremy Adams how, how he scripts the dialogue here. Hell Jordan just can't help himself; he loses his temper because, of course, he can't help but to think. And, and he knows Sinestro was ultimately a a, a fascist, <laughs> a fascist at heart, and uh, he loses his temper, ends up getting banished from the from the from the from the Sinestro's throne room or the from the diplomatic table, only to have uh, three Sinestro Corps members seemingly attack uh, Lord Theros. Uh, and apparently Sinestro, they didn't do so at the behest of Sinestro. And, and of course, uh, that's how we know Kilowog supposedly got killed because the yellow power battery, for some inexplicable reason, seems to have a, it exploded or it imploded or left off some sort of energy. And now, how exactly following that did Sinestro end up on Earth? Uh, you know, not entirely clear. And exactly, we know that uh, we know that the Green Lantern power battery is now powered by it's powered by source energy, uh, which is slightly different. And so we got we, we got a number of uh, you know questions that, that are still unanswered here. But I like that Jeremy Adams began to sort of fill in the blanks, and I love the heroic way that uh, Kilowog went out. I love that the fact he's facing off against three Sinestro Corps members, and Kilowog is saying, you know, they say one of them makes the comment. I can sense no fear in this one. <laughs> I mean, that's right, man. You're you're up you're up against Kilowog. This guy has no fear. I thought it was some cool moments. Uh, Jeremy Adams knows these characters. He knows how to give them. He knows their voices, and it works well. And uh, I, I just and and I thought the art worked real well too. In particular, I really loved the page where it showed. Uh, it was a split screen showing uh, Hal's angry face along with Sinestro's devious grin. And uh, Sinestro loved toying with Hal, knowing that Hal was powerless and really had no say in the negotiations that were going on. And ultimately, it should be noted that Korrigar joins the United Planets as a way, perhaps Sinestro does no more than he's saying, but Korrigar is now a member of the United Planets, which it wasn't before. So uh, more and more of the building blocks are coming into play here. Jeremy Adams is, uh, cont- continues to do do a good job of that. And there's still we still have some, an- some answers that, that questions that we need answers to. And um, yeah, and uh, that leads us to the backup. So do you want to talk about uh, Korg, the son of Sinestro, in the backup first, Jason? <laughs> 
Yeah, Sin Sun, as he's calling himself. Uh, it's nice to see him kind of take charge and beat the crap out of his uh, boss, I guess you'd say. You know, the guy that's in, in charge that supposedly re- recruits and provides for all these kids so they can go out and pickpockets and perform any number of crimes for him. Um, you know, we saw last last issue who was going to escape the planet and he, he'd been planning for months and then, you know, he gets caught and he's going to, um, uh, you know, try to leave the planet. He gets his little rocket ship all, you know, destroyed or whatever. And uh, it it's it's interesting because, you know, he is so convinced, Korg or Sinsan or whatever you want to call him, he's so convinced that he is the son of Sinestro. He doesn't, he doesn't leave any, you know, any room for doubt. And, and this boss or whatever you want to call him, this Nagef, uh, is so convinced he's not the son of, of Sinestro. I mean, he has no reason to believe he is other than the fact that he's got, you know, purple. They, they say purple. I, I always thought of it as pink or reddish skin. But anyway, uh, he destroys the uh, – Nagef destroys the rocket or he gets his minions to destroy the rocket. And that's kind of the final straw for for Sin Sun for Korg and he – he lashes out, and, and to his credit, he does def- defeat Nagath, uh, and and then says, "Hey, you know, time for for new leadership." Uh, he, you know, he's got his own core, as it will, and I guess it's going to lead directly into Sinister Sons coming next month, twenty twenty four. So, I don't know the way it was marketed. I, I thought it was basically going to be uh, Korg and 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 Lore, but maybe Korg's going to bring along his own core, his own minions to do. Uh, his bidding, uh, does this mean he's going to get to escape the planet that he's on now that he, he's in charge? Like A lot of things up in the air. Um, one of the things that, that I've mentioned in the past with the David LaFuente art, I'm just not sure if it's kind of the best type of art. It's, it's Sometimes it's hard to take it um, as, as really serious because it does have this sort of all-ages animated cartoony style. Um, but this David LaFuente is the regular artist on – on the uh, the main book, so I guess we'll see how that all plays out. I, I you know, I'll, I'll reserve judgment and, and wait until I've read it before I, I say anything. But you know, Rocky and I have both expressed some reservations of, hey, I, you know, are they trying to recapture what they had with the Super Sons? Because these are two totally different characters, and if you try to you know recapture that, if you try to make these these characters antiheroes, it's not really going to work for me. Like, let Lore be be a Zod. You know, exactly. Let let Sin Sun be a, a you know a true worthy son of uh, of Sinestro. Although you know Sinestro himself has gone back and forth, hero, anti-hero, villain, what have you. Like my favorite Sinestro is still like as two dimensional as you can get, right? The the Sinestro from um, the Challenge of the Super Friends cartoon, you know, where he's had the blue costume and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know he did have the yellow ring, but this was long before it was you know the yellow ring from, from fear and uh, um, parallax entity and all that. This was, you know, old school, uh, you know, way back when Jeff Johns was a silly young tyke like myself. Uh, But yeah, that's still my, still my favorite version of, uh, of Sinestro. So, so we'll see. I, it's not like I'm really looking forward to it or what have you. I wasn't really the biggest fan of super sons back in the day because I'm not really that big of a fan of, um, of Damian Wayne, but I know it did have you know a huge following, and and that's why a lot of people were so mad when um, when John Kent was aged up. So I guess we'll see. What what are your thoughts on the backup? 
Well, I the backup is written, of course, as it always has been, dealing with Korg, or now Sinsun, uh, written by Peter Tomasi. And Peter Tomasi is largely responsible for Super Sons. And so I choose to have faith in Peter Tomasi. Uh, more faith than I have in this story so far of Korg. I, uh, I'm more interested in Lore Zod, in Lore, than I am with, with Sinsun, Korg, whatever. And, uh, but, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, what's interesting to me is that on the surface, Korg and Lore actually have a number of things in common. They, they both want recognition from their fathers. <laughs> Sinsun wants to be acknowledged that he's the act, what his birthright is. And uh, Lore wants, to, uh, wants his father to respect him for his intelligence and his ambition and his, uh, and his desires to conquer. And uh, Lore, uh, Lore grew up having guidance from his father and his mother, Ursa. Korg had no guidance. Korg, since I basically lived on the streets, uh, Lord has had no expressions of affection from his father and maybe a little bit from his mother, Ursa. Uh, since son has had no love from anyone, really, except the, the love uh, the, of, of friends or maybe the respect of friends on the streets and even that, not a lot. So neither, you know, both Lord and Korg have ambitions and something to prove to their, uh, to prove to their fathers that, and, and their fathers don't really appreciate them. They pro neither one of them feel appreciated by their by their fathers. Since then, doesn't even has, isn't even recognized by as having one. And uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, Zod is practicing tough love, and Sinestro, Sinestro maybe is a little bit maybe a better father because we know that. Because but even the way he treats Sorinek, he does treat her with some degree of affection. So it is interesting. There, there's in other words, there's a lot. There's a recipe here for some very interesting character arcs that writer Tomasi uh, can really explore here. And so, uh, but uh, there's one thing I want to make a comment on, and that is that um, one of the things that I really liked about Super Sons, my favorite Super Sons stories involved Superman and Batman. I love the interaction of Damien and John Kent with their fathers when they were all together and with the father being an interaction. I would, uh, and so those are my favorite types of Super Sons stories. And, I, I would like to see General Zod and Sinestro have more of a role in a, in a Sinister Sun series. And uh, that, that's my preference. We're not going to get that, though. And it's been set up for be a primarily, uh, you know, lore going off on some tough love on trying to find himself. And I don't know what the purpose of it's going to be. Lore and, I guess, Sinister and, and, and Sin Sun are going to basically, I don't know, create their own intergalactic terrorist group or some kind, uh, maybe, and get the respect and recognition of their fathers, and then their fathers are going to show up. I'm already looking forward to that inevitable uh, reunion between the fathers and the sons of Sinister Sons. That, I think, will be probably my favorite aspects of that story. But I'm open to, to Peter Tomasi impressing the hell out of me because he's certainly, been, he's certainly done that in the past. So we shall see. Yeah, I mean, he... He created, uh, along with Patrick Gleason, a really strong fan base for Super Sun. So, uh, you know, he gets to flip it around and do, and do it with um, with villainous sons this time. I mean, I have no uh, reason to think he can't be successful this time. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Outsiders number three. This was written by the hive mind of Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Robert Carey on art. Valentina Tadeo on colors. Tom Napolitano on letters. What do you think? I've got mixed feelings about this. Uh, I, uh, my, my initial inclination is to vent a little bit. I could go on a little bit of a rant on this, uh, but I don't want to sound like a broken record because this very clearly, this isn't planetary. 
And I think it's really unfair of me because Planetary, I, I've said this before, it is probably in my top 10 of greatest comic book stories of all time. It's completely unfair to expect that uh, Lanzig and Kelly are going to do anything approaching that, even if they were A-list writers, which I, I don't consider them A-list writers. I say that respectfully. I put them more like a B-list, uh, but solid Bs. And uh, But this, I'm... I'm disappointed in where I think this series, where this series appears to be going. Uh, the idea of being archaeologists of the DC multiverse, and we've, it's been really, really boring so far, and a little bit too esoteric. And if you read the first few issues of, of Planetary, and, and, and again, I hate to compare, but good Lord, Planetary just has a way of just, of, of, in, in engaging a reader's imagination so fantastically, this doesn't. And, and this issue in particular was a massive disappointment to me because it, 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 they basically, uh, uh, they're engaging, they're, they're in the bleed. They, they have this huge machine that they can access anywhere. Uh, the, the limits are the imagination to explore. I mean, as Luke Fox says, Batwing, as Luke Fox says more than once, they are explorers of this new multiverse with this, they're, they're, they're in this, the carrier, and they're with connections to past stories of the authority and planetary. And they access a frequency where we, we access a bunch of Batman from the multiverse. And it's just such a disappointment. It's just such a disappointment. So much, so much rich potential ideas from the DC multiverse and once again, we've got a glorified Batman story. I'm so disappointed. Now, uh, that's my vent. I'll stop there. Now, let me talk about the positives here. The positives here are the concepts. The idea that they, they utilize different frequencies to travel and they end up in a pocket dimension where it's a Batman dimension. They literally call it a Bat dimension. And the idea here is that every time, any time, every, every, every universe has a Batman or some form of a Batman. And every time that you use fear as a weapon, and the more times you use fear as a weapon, you become more bat-like, a potential Batman. Uh, an aspect of your consciousness can can enter this realm of of the Batman, and and it's it's kind of cool in the sense that all these Batman can decide what they're going to fixate on next. Why does Batman have an obsession with pearls? It's because these Batman, almost like a, a group of Batman from the universe, forming their own Illuminati, and they decide what they're going to obsess about, and so that's what they do, and they. And there was talk about they want to obsess about pearls. They even had like a pearl machine in there. And it's just, it's really odd and eclectic, but they got a code against killing. And while they're having this meeting, Luke Fox is not supposed to interfere. And Luke Fox and Batwoman violated the rules by hacking into the Bat Dimension. They hacked into it. They, they weren't, they didn't come up upon the bat dimension by, by dreaming or through natural means whereby their consciousness would somehow fit into this bat dimension. And ultimately, Luke Fox ends up battling Duke, who is a, a different version of a Batman, who insists that the, all, that the collective bat consciousness is forming a narrative virus that is slowly eating all the stories in the multiverse. This story has already been told. Grant Morrison told it in Final Crisis. The idea of, of, of a vampiric monitor eating up the stories and each individual story of all the heroes of each individual universe had different outcomes. Stories are different and different stories led to different monitors. And that, that was already told in, in, in Final Crisis. I am ridiculously oversimplifying Final Crisis. But my point is, is that I'm not sure 
why we're getting this. It seems a little bit odd, but we end up with this narrative virus that is uh, that ultimately Luke Fox and Batwoman sort of escaped from because the other Batman helped them escape because obviously they're Batman. Most of them are against killing, so they help the Bat Bat. They help Batwing, Luke Fox and Kate Kane, Batwoman escape in back into the carrier and they sort of ignore it but there's hints there by the drummer the drummer is sort of reading a note and it, it, there's hints that this narrative virus this fourth man that luke fox has to return to this fourth man is glad that this happened because he considered this a test and it's a rounding success and and that at some point this narrative virus might still be a threat and this narrative virus being that that the mythology of batman is related to a narrative virus that is slowly eating up stories in the multiverse. Maybe you read it differently, but I, uh, again, the concept is not bad, but I, I feel it's, it's squandered because it's wasted on Batman. We get enough Batman nonsense, enough Batman multiversal stuff. And I, I think um, it was a missed opportunity here. Finally, a comment on the art. The art's not good enough. The art simply is not good enough for this type of series. Uh, it just isn't. And that's, that's why, uh, I'm just, the art is extremely disappointing. I would have, uh, um, it's not good enough. I'll just leave it at that. It's not my cup of tea. But again, the, the story and the, uh, the, the concept of the story is kind of cool. I just wish it was, wasn't wasted on yet more Batman, Batman analogs. But I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I, I tend, I mean, I agree to some extent. The art could, could be better. Um, it is a lot of heavy lifting in this in this issue. You know, we get a bunch of different versions of Batman. We get a bunch of different versions of of Batwoman, and they are fun. It, it is interesting to see that you know the different costume designs and, and what have you. Um, but the other part of it is the color. I think the colors tend to be a little bit muddy, and they're not they're not helping the uh, the line work at all. But that that might be because the line work just isn't strong enough to warrant, you know, like a brighter color palette, because then, you, you know, you may expose some of the weakness of the, of the line work. So yeah, the art, if the art was better, it, w it could elevate the story as opposed to the art is just sort of mediocre. And so it, it kind of lets the story down to some extent. I do agree with you that the concepts here are, are really interesting. You're right. It did feel a little derivative of, of, um, of final crisis. It also does, you know, it, I, I I don't compare it to planetary, although, you know, I can see, I can see why a lot of the concepts are, are the same. And I, you know, you can see the bones of it, you know, when you talk about the ar archaeologists of the DC multiverse and, and that is an interesting concept and it, and, and it can work. Unfortunately, the reason that it's, I think, struggling a little bit is because the DCU is, is much larger than the Wildstorm universe ever was or ever will be. Right. And so, and, and people are a little more familiar and it's kind of harder to, to get to some of the core ideas and, and to really have that same level of, you know, this X-Files feel and mystery, mysterious feel and what have you. So, it, you know, I, I can see the challenges there, but I do think that there are a lot of good ideas here, but you're right in that it's esoteric. And so far, you know, you say so far the series has been a little bit boring. I feel like so far the series has been kind of laying this foundation and nothing's really paid off yet. So it's more of a, a slow burn type of series. Um, and I just don't know that the, this is the, these were the best characters to, to put, 
put it forward. I can understand why you would like, okay, you call it outsiders. It's going to have some ties to Batman. You're going to give the series a chance to succeed. You're going to get people that are going to try it out that maybe wouldn't have because they're going to feel like it's got some sort of a Batman tie-in. So you've got to pay that off to some extent, but at the same time, you're, you're lowering the story down to like the least common denominator, right? There are people that just read Batman and that's all they read. And as long as it's got Batman, they're going to, you know, pick it up and they're going to check it out and they're going to give it a chance. But it's not probably the best basis to, to build this around. Luke Fox probably isn't, the, you know, the best. I think Kate Kane's an inspired choice. And yes, she does have ties to Batman, but it's she's an inspired choice, I think, in spite of her history as Batwoman and her relationship with, with Bruce Wayne. Luke Fox, again, I can kind of see why, you know, you have the Fox fortune and what have you, but probably not the best, right? You, you brought in the Challengers, the Challengers of the Unknown. They were – they. Not not that version of the Challengers we saw, but the uh, kind of the classic ver- version of the Challengers of Unknown, they would have been a good choice. Um, Phantom Stranger, he would have been a good choice. Doctor Occult, he would have been a good choice. Uh, even somebody like Nemesis or the Human Target, you know, Christopher Chance, he would have been a good choice. Even John Constantine to some extent, although it's kind of hard with Constantine now because Constantine has sort of uh, become – like the Will Smith of comic book characters. And what I mean by that is when you watch a Will Smith movie, at least when I watch a Will Smith movie, all I see on the screen is Will Smith, right? Will Smith is being Will Smith, regardless of whatever character he's playing. When you read a Constantine (laughs) book now, that's kind of what it is, right? Okay, Constantine's going to do some despicable stuff and he's going to make some smart aleck remarks and and the rest of the story is all, you know, in service to that. You know, you don't get anything kind of original anymore. Um, so I can, yeah, I can totally see your point, but I can see the other side of it too. There are some, like you said, some interesting concepts here and this idea of, of Batman and, and him, you know, the multiversal stories of Batman sort of taking over everything and being sort of this almost like a a cancer is really interesting. And having Duke Thomas of all people be the one that's going to, uh, try to stop it from happening. He knows the future. He knows how everything like there's there. That's interesting. But yet again, we get sort of a one and done here. It's not really explored and it has all the baggage of Batman. I just don't think that's the best way to put that idea forward. I think um, probably would work better actually as an, as an independent book, maybe something like planetary. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it kind of is what it is. Um, I give, Lansing and Kelly a lot of credit for trying this, how successful it's going to be. Is, it's all going to depend on how they tie it together. Because again, I think Kate Kane, very interesting choice. I think drummer is a very interesting character as well. Um, but yeah, so far it's just, it, it hasn't clicked yet. I guess we'll have to wait and see if it, if it does at some point. Uh, <clears throat> up next, I, I don't know why we don't have a, a credits page in action comics, 1061, but we know it's written by Jason Aaron uh, John Timms handles the art. Rex Locust does the colors. Sorry, I don't know who uh, who's doing the letters, but this is kicking off the Superman Superstars year of action comics where we're going to have all these different big-name writers come in and handle the book for a little while. In this particular issue, it's all about Bizarro. We don't know for what reason, uh, but for some reason, Bizarro world has disappeared. This leads Bizarro to go in search of it. He ends up on the sorcerer's world where he gains 
um, the ability to, to practice magic, which I guess makes sense when you stop and think about it. Superman's weakness is magic, so why wouldn't Bizarro, who's supposed to be the opposite of Superman, have an affinity for magic? He ends up, uh, you know, the, the sorcerers there, the wizards there, try to destroy Bizarro. They're, you know, worried about the threat he poses. They attack him with magic. It does nothing to Bizarro. And in fact, he ends up, um, I guess, killing them and taking the power uh, to himself and then going to Earth and apparently tricks Superman into helping him cast this spell where I guess the people of Earth are going to turn into Bizarro versions of themselves. Um, So kind of an interesting story. Certainly it feels like a big story in terms of scope that Jason Aaron is uh, giving here. Um, I, you know, Superman is my favorite character, but guess what? I have never liked Bizarro. (laughs) I I find it would be problematic because here's the thing. He's supposed to be the opposite, you know? And, and when he says he's happy, he's actually sad and me know, you know, I say hello when I mean goodbye. I say goodbye when I mean hello. But you you can't actually have him say the exact opposite every time. Like, it's problematic. It's not consistent. Sometimes he says the opposite and he means whatever. And it just, I don't know. I've always found it to be clunky. I've never liked Bizarro. He's not true. Like, if he was truly the opposite of Superman, Superman exists and Bizarro wouldn't exist, right? Or he'd be made out of antimatter. Yeah. Or like, it just it just doesn't make sense, and so I'm gonna. I hate to put it this way, but I'm gonna suffer through this Bizarro story. I'm mildly interested, but not really. Uh, the artwork from John Timms is really really strong. Um, maybe the best John Timms artwork I've seen. You know, we we were pretty harsh on uh, on John when he did the Future State Superman story. It was so busy, um, but uh, he did a great job. I thought on the Adventures of Superman John Kent series. This art is even a, a step above that, um, and I, I really enjoyed the art, especially his Lois, his Jimmy. Uh, as much as I don't like Bizarro as a character, visually, I think he's interesting. Tim does a great job of portraying him here. So uh, I, I'm just I'm not interested in a Bizarro story, and the fact that it's going to dial up the whole Bizarro aspect to 11 with Lois turning into Bizarro at the end, I just kind of groaned like, Oh my God. Uh, so I hope it's over sooner than later, but I know it's going to last. I think it's scheduled to last at least six issues. Uh, this just isn't for me. Like, but if you're a bizarro fan, you're probably going to absolutely love this. It does feel, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, it makes sense. You know, it's a logical place to take a bizarro story. Um, but it also feels fresh. So I'll give Aaron a, a really good, um, Give him some credit for coming up with a good idea and for uh, for kicking it off with a, a very technically well-done comic. But yeah, this is not something that I'm going to be a, a fan of um, in the long run just because of my uh, proclivity to dislike Bizarro. Me no like Bizarro, or me, me like Bizarro, I guess I'd say. Like, yeah, see, it's just so, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. So anyway, maybe you enjoyed it more than me. Maybe you're a big Bizarro fan. What do you think? Uh, I did enjoy it more than you did. Uh, I actually think that this is making me a Bizarro fan and in one issue. I've, I've, I've never thought of Bizarro. And, and, and you, you said it. It's, it feels fresh. And it feels so logical. Of course, Bizarro is, could be a master wizard. Because magic, Superman's vulnerable to magic. Bizarro's the opposite. So he's 
he's he's invulnerable or he's he can magic can empower him i mean i mean the rules of bizarro world the rules of bizarro are not completely 100% clear even the whole concept of the opposite as you said is a little bit wonky it's it's a little bit esoteric i mean you can interpret the opposite to mean different things in different contexts. If you really want to get technical, I, I re- I've read bizarro stories where I've been completely lost. I remember, in fact, it's the one I remember reading All Star Superman. It's the one issue where Grant Morrison wrote Bizarro. I, I, I to this day I find it unreadable. I still don't understand that issue. Uh, <laughs> Grant, Mor- what Grant Morrison thinks is the opposite is is in another stratosphere of my mind. But in any event, I what Jason Aaron does masterfully in this opening issue is I, I love how we hit the ground running immediately. Bizarro is smashing. Bizarro's looking for his world because guess what? Because of all the damn crises, Bizarro has every right to be pissed off. Why did his world disappear? Bizarro's not the only person who's pissed, who's pissed off at, at the heroes uh, in the 2814 quadrant. I mean, the United Planets have quarantined the area. Uh, the, the people on Earth 8 hate the heroes of Earth designate zero. Why? Because every time there's a crisis, it's usually our fault. It's usually Earth Zero's fault, right? So, and Bizarro lost his entire planet. So he's a tra- he finds himself in, in the desperate search for his square Earth, or I don't even know how to pronounce Earth backwards, but his, that's the name of his planet, Earth backwards, whatever it is. And he ends up finding acquiring all these intense magical powers. And what's interesting here, and I, you never mentioned it, you probably caught it, but I'm going to spell it out. He actually ends up utilizing, once he gains magical powers, uh, Bizarro uses, acquires hunger dog tears. And I think hunger dogs is a reference to the old Jack Kirby uh, classic. Uh, I think it was an oversized uh, magazines uh, yeah, issue. Yeah, a graphic novel by by Jack Kirby. Uh, he also acquired the still twitching tongue of a fifth dimensional imp. Did he rip Mixopatelic's tongue out of his face? Like, is that what he did? Uh, and then Wolfsbane petals. Now, I don't know what Wolfsbane w- would 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 relate to, but is there some sort of uh, what villain villainous magical villain would that refer to in the DC universe? I don't know, but Bizarro very clearly has an agenda here, and I think this is more complicated than. And I might be wrong. But I think this is more than just Bizarro converting our world to a bunch of Bizarros. I think this plan, I think, I think this might be a little bit more sophisticated than just Bizarro wanting to change our world into his world. And even if it isn't, maybe it is precisely that. Even if it isn't, I hope that Jason Aaron, and I don't, either, either way, I'm enjoying this because it's action packed. It's, you're invest every page, there's something happening. It's not decompressed, it's awesome. Art's great. This is the best John Timms art. Uh, I, I never liked John Timms, I, but he, he keeps getting better and better and better, and he keeps making me a believer in his art. So thank you, John Timms. Great on the art. And I'm really curious to see how this ends. And I'm wondering if maybe we're going to get a new, a, sort of a new status quo for Bizarro, uh, because I think he needs one. I think there's a silliness to Bizarro with the square worlds and anything else. If they move away from that silliness, it wouldn't break my heart. I would like a, maybe a new set of rules or maybe give Bizarro a little bit more gravitas or agency, maybe as a villain, or maybe be have him a little bit more of a question mark. You know, Superman at one point in here says to Bizarro, you're a good man. And Bizarro rightly says to him, but I'm the opposite of you. So what makes you think I should be good? And he's got a good point. I mean, if he, he speaks an opposites of Superman and 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 all the time, but suddenly we're, we're, we think that he's supposed to be good. There's also an interesting aspect. There's a part of this where Jason Aaron very in a very he orchestrates it very well. 
where Bizarro uses magic so that he speaks normal for a change. And it's through it's at a crucial part of the story where Bizarro actually states what's going on. And he finally reads normal. But it's quite clear that the spell only lasts for a, a small period of time because at some point, but we're not clear when, Bizarro goes back to speak and Bizarro speak, but we're not cl clear, and Superman isn't even clear if Bizarro was crying or screaming or, or, or laughing. And what does that mean when Bizarro laughs? When Bizarro laughs, is he crying? Is he crying? I mean, uh, utilizing the character of Bizarro in such a way as to sort of entice the readers to almost create a mystery. Well, wait a minute. I mean, Bizarro, you never know exactly know if Bizarro can go back and forth speaking backwards and not through magic, then he really is a wild card. And the readers, we might be misled as to what the hell he's saying. And I thought Jason Aaron used that to great effect here. Dialogue I thought was great. He captured the voices of Lois well, uh, Superman, uh, even, even the citizens of Metropolis as they see Bizarro show up. I thought this was uh, very well done. And I'm so pleased to, to, to say that Jason Aaron, thank you. You came in. Your first, your first assignment was on Batman Offworld, and I'm enjoying the hell out of that. And and this opening issue, I thought, was uh, definitely a candidate for me for Book of the Week. Wow, you really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Titans Beast World issue number four. Uh, Tom Taylor writer Lucas Meyer, who we saw uh, do the second issue or third issue rather. The first two issues were by Yvonne Reese. Lucas Meyer on art. Mulo Fajardo Jr. on colors, Wes Abbott on letters. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what to think of Titans Beast World. It started off so promising, and now it feels like not much has been happening the last couple of issues. Like we know people around the world have been transformed into beasts, <laughs> and the heroes have been trying to contain those beasts, but not with much success. Like they, they sort of feel like they're not very competent. Not that I agree with Amanda Waller by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's just been a while now and not much is happening. I really feel like for the last couple issues, we've been treading water. Um, I do think that the art is, is strong. It, it doesn't have the same feel that the Yvonne Reese art has with just huge in scope and uh, making it really feel like an event. But that being said, I think the art is really strong. It is it is fun to see the heroes put in the situation they're in where they feel like they're over their head. And John Kent continues at various times to look like the electric blue version of his father, which is always a heck of a lot of fun. And the stakes feel high and the danger feels real. Um, so I appreciate that. I just I feel like the story hasn't moved forward in, in quite a while. And, um, you know, the various one shots and what have you, the, the world tour issues, they, they've only contributed to the feeling of kind of treading water. And, and the thing is, I know there's big things to come in this series, um, but I, I, I don't know why we're sort of floundering here in the middle. So uh, I'm still enjoying it. It's still when, you know, when we see Gar as the, the giant Starro, when um, we hear about what's going on. The stakes still feel really high. It just feels like the pacing has ground nearly to a halt. Um, so it's it's problematic a little bit. 
What, what are your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, well, again, I find myself in the position once again of uh, respectfully disagreeing with you, my friend. I, I thought this was, I really enjoyed this issue. I thought the pacing contributed to the narrative. I like that it was fast paced and I, I enjoyed the plot. Although I guess I, I, I can't deny that while not, maybe not a heck of a lot happened, we got some really great action sequences, uh, which I want in a big event. And I thought there was great action. And I think uh, artist Lucas Meyer, he just does a fantastic job here. I, I don't, I'm not miss, I don't find myself missing Ivan Reese. I love Ivan Reese, but I'm Lucas Meyer, man. He's, he's won me over. I, I actually love, uh, I, and, and Amanda Waller. I mean, I can't believe you never said something about what Amanda Waller does in this issue, Chase. My God, I know you hate this woman and you should hate her even more now. I'm not giving her any more lip service. (laughs) But, Boy, she's she's so cruel. What I mean, the fate of what happens to Garo here, to Gar, Gar, Gar Beast Boy, is just appalling. And 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 the manner in which she uses this new character, who's, uh, you know, I mean, in any other narrative, you, you could accuse this Chuck, this Chuck Runk, this Chester Runk character, who's yeah, introduced. He's not, he's not a new. He's not a new character. He's been around for a long time. Has Wally he? West, yeah, Wally West Flash character. Like, oh. I think he probably appeared like back in the like in the twenties, that, that 1987 oh. series with the yellow cover. Okay. Yeah. He, he appeared some, sometime in the first 30 issues of that. Wow. I, you, 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 I got to go back. Cause I, I, I had, if, I mean, I, I don't read a lot of comics. I don't remember Chester, but it, I'm good. Great. Uh, I, I had, he, he's, I don't remember this guy, but apparently he's got some ability to have a black hole in his stomach and suck things into it. He's like a walking black hole, which is just incredible. The way that, you know, Peacemaker shows up, he's trying to deal with, per, per Chester is trying to deal with his children who've been changed into beasts. His son has been changed into a beast because of the, the gar spores, only to have Peacemaker kill his son, uh, thinking that he's saving him and then acquiring him for Amanda Waller. Lex Luthor that has been used to for his because Lex Luthor has a hidden GLA, a hidden GLA transporter. They transport Per Chester into the heart of Garo. And then basically it looks as if Garo is bit the fate of Beast Boy seems horrible, horrifying. And ultimately, Dr. Hate is once again battling Raven. And there's this battle between Dr. Hate and Raven. And let me tell you something. The uh, Dr. Hate and Raven, they undoubtedly... Uh, Dr. Hate seems to have a, an unholy fixation on Raven and Raven and Dr. Hate. They're, they're, there's a relationship there that's going to play out, I'm certain, in future issues there. And it's really cool to uh, – I thought it was really cool to see. This is building to something even greater. The fate of Beast Boy, it's not clear. He would appear to uh, – you know, they appear to have like lost Beast Boy at the end of this issue. Uh, also, it's worth mentioning that – the Bureau of Sovereignty makes an appearance. Commander Steele, uh, who we see in the pages of uh, Wonder Woman, Commander Steele speaking on behalf of the Bureau of Sovereignty. One has to wonder, is Amanda Waller working with the Sovereign? Uh, I mean, uh, what's the relationship between the Sovereign and Amanda Waller? Tom King likes to avoid continuity. He likes to avoid – Tom King likes to operate in his own world, but I don't care. Uh, I, can answer, I can answer that question. There's no way the Sovereign is working with Amanda Waller because Amanda Waller is a woman and we all well, know how the Sovereign feels about women. Well, you would, you would think that, but yet here we have Commander Steele uh, seemingly, uh, seemingly on the surface seems to be engaging in, in uh, the propaganda that 
favors Amanda Waller because she wants the world to hate the heroes. Uh, Commander Steele is talking, uh, is propagating the 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 propaganda that Beast Boy is maybe responsible for for what happened for all the spores, et cetera, et cetera, and that maybe it was done on purpose. Again, part of Amanda Waller's uh, ultimate goal to to scapegoat the heroes and wanting to eliminate the heroes. And so it's interesting here, you know what, you know I, I again. I like that Tom Taylor at least references it, even though it might not be a Tom King. Tom Taylor, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Tom Taylor at least references it with respect to the Tom King story, because I think it sort of pulls Wonder Woman in. And in any event, I, I kind of liked it. it. It felt like Tom Taylor seems to be aware of what's going on elsewhere in the DC universe. And, you know, one of the things you and I have talked about before is that there does seem at times it, we, it's very easy to be critical of DC editorial because it doesn't always seem like, the various left hands know what the right hands are doing in the in the DC in the various DC stories, but I I enjoyed this I, I enjoyed this issue and I'm looking forward to see how ultimately how how this Beast World's going to wrap up. I, this is by far certainly certainly the best uh, DC event in in years in my opinion, and hopefully it'll end on a on a on a high note. We shall see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see. Uh, it it ends this month. Like we have two more issues, and they yeah, yeah they both come out this month. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, issue number four, from writer Robert Venditti, art by Riley Rosmo, colors by Yvonne Placencia, letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, I really enjoyed this issue. Uh, for the first time, at least that I can remember, we get a sense of what Sandman's powers are like what the gas actually does uh you know we saw last issue that he was exposed to his own gas um and in this issue we see that uh he you know he kind of goes through it there these montage page uh pages which i thought were really really powerful done very very well by uh by riley rosmo so i continue to be impressed by the work that rosmo is doing um and yeah I'm, I'm just really enjoying the series much more than i thought that i that i would um, it turns out that my thought of, you know, Vander Kyle or Vander, whatever his name is, the Wesley Dodds yeah. character that, um, or, or the character, character that, that, you know, uh, was a friend of Wesley Dodds father. Uh, you know, he, he, he puts that same thing, that same thought forward, like, Oh, is this guy, uh, you know, maybe responsible or what have you for, uh, for what's going on? You know, I hate to think that this, guy who was, you know, a friend of my father's could be, could be responsible. Uh, but it turns out not to be, it turns out to be somebody else that totally makes sense. So I appreciated that as well. And, you know, once again, I'm just, um, reminded why I'm such a fan of, uh, Robert Venditti. He's just such a great writer, does such a great job, uh, on this story. And, you know, we've said it throughout the Riley Rosmo art. He's, he was just a perfect choice for this series. Um, it did, this is not a nitpick. I'm just pointing it out. It did feel like this issue read a little bit quicker than previous issues, but it was because of those early, there's like three or four pages early on. They're like double page spreads where we're getting flashbacks of time in Wesley Dodd's life when he was younger, uh, where he was, you know, saying this particular event happened. And these are all um, kind of flashbacks that are kicked off by the fact that he was exposed to his own uh, gas uh, and it makes him flashback and think about these emotional times. And they were, it was, they're very impactful and the art was really fantastic. So 
I kind of didn't mind that before I knew it, I was at the end of the issue. And I was like, oh man, I want more. Uh, but that that's a good thing. That's a sign of a great comic um, that I can't wait to see where it goes. And yeah, I, like if you would have told me that, you know, Wesley Dodd Sandman would be one of my favorite comics that DC's putting out, I'd have been like, well, are you crazy? I mean, I, I would take it with a grain of salt because, you know, it's Robert Venditti and I tend to really enjoy the stuff that he does. But this is even beyond my expectations. I just thought it was fantastic. So uh, what were your thoughts on it, Rock? Well, I thought it was uh, very predictable. I, so I, I, I thought the writing's fine, but very predictable. Uh, the, the, the guess pretty much with issue one, w- when he met the military guy who called him a pacifist, I mean, one could have guessed that like, he is going to end up being the villain. And, and he is. The Breckenridge guy ends up, he's the end up being the evil Sandman who ends up meets an untimely demise here, or so we think. And um, in, in the telling of this tale, it's, uh, you know, uh, artist Riley Roswell, he's got three, three consecutive double page spreads. Unbelievable. Three consecutive double page spread with detailed backgrounds in each and uh, highlighted by this, this sort of like this this gas acting as the panels to various scenes going on, just so just brilliantly done. And then the fight scene at the e- at the end between you know where where uh, Wesley Dodds walks in because he initially suspects that Mister we- uh, that uh, Wheeler Vanderlyle is the true villain, and he walks in only to find uh, uh, Colonel Breckenridge strang- strangling him. Uh, and then the fight scene that that ensues, and the way Riley, the way Riley has has basically a full page, but yet has got like panels scattered on the page, uh, sh- showing the given the 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 strong sense of motion and and, and gravitas and and uh, and the 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 adrenaline of the moment, I, it just works so effective, so well. I do think, by the way, that it's rather convenient that just as Wesley Dodds walks into the room, the bad, yeah. the, the true villain. So this is why I'm thinking that that was all staged. I'm thinking that's staged. I think it's misdirection. I think that Vanderlaal is still a villain and they, they, they knew Dodds was in the house and that was all staged. Uh, but that's my guess. We'll have to wait next issue to see. Maybe I'm wrong on that. If I'm not, it's a little bit predictable or a little bit convenient, convenient, I guess. But again, like you said, it's so beautifully done. It's such a one, it's such a, per, it's a really great co- uh, collaboration between and synchronicity between the, the writer and the artist. You know, Riley Rosmo, you know, he never found his calling. You know, he never really found a, his groove necessarily on Harley Quinn, or at least not with, not with, dare I say, the majority of the readers. But I think he's found it here because I, I do know that even Riley Rosmo, who I know to be with their, his detractors, they admit that they're really enjoying the Sandman. He's doing a really good job here. And, and, and it shows. And it really shows. And kudos to Riley Rosmo for, you know, he was for a guy. He put his, despite all the criticism early on, he put his nose to the grindstone. He focused on just good art fine-tuning his craft and, and choosing the right uh, project for himself. And he's done that here with Sandman. So with Robert Venditti, well done. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he did the Martian Manhunter 12 issue maxi series with, um, with Steve Orlando. That was pre- previously my favorite art of, of his. Yeah. And it made sense because, you know, it really focused on the, um, the shape shifting of the, of the Martians. And so, you know, it wasn't, it didn't matter that things were out of proportion or what have you. 
or is it Martian Manhunter had a giant forehead or what have you, but uh, he's putting, he's putting that work to shame with the work he's doing here. Yeah. It's just really fantastic. Uh, all right. Up next, uh, I haven't been reading this, but uh, I know Rocky's a fan. It's Fables number 161 from writer Bill Willingham. Mark Buckingham handles the pencil. Steve Leia Aloha on inks. Lee Luffridge on colors. And we've got uh, – sorry, I'm trying to get to the letters. Uh, letters by Todd Klein. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this issue? Uh, well, for those who uh, – some quick comments here. This has been building uh, to – this is the – uh, this is part 11 of 12, so there's only one issue left after this. Here, uh, part 11 of 12 of the Black Forest, we finally get uh, – this is one long action scene. Of, well, there's going to be multiple actions because we got Big B Wolf, Wolf versus – uh, Peter versus Peter Pan, and then we got the the strong the strong North Wind that ultimately goes against uh, uh, Tinkerbell. So the battle between Tinkerbell, the North Wind, Big B Wolf, and Peter Pan. <laughs> and I got to tell you, man, it's 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 fairly consequential and epic. Now, the the, the wonderful thing about Fables is it has a central conceit that. It, it does matter when people die because it takes a long time for them to heal. But fables, uh, uh, the strength of a fable like Bigby Wolf is directly proportional to the degree that they're well known in our in the Mondays belief system. We're all Mondays because we're normal human beings, and so uh, because the Big Bad Wolf is is a very com is very common in various uh, Grimm's fairy tales and very com Big Bad Wolf is common in various uh, mythological stories. Bigby Wolf is. Even when he's supposedly killed, he's pretty much almost indestructible. He's always going to come back. So you always kind of know that possibly same for Snow White, Cinderella, et cetera, et cetera. But it can take a long time for that to happen. And so in the meantime, though, we got Peter Pan here who you can just know. Everyone knows who Peter Pan is. So you know he's as powerful. And so you got Tinkerbell. You know she's going to be powerful. And what's cool is you don't even need to be a fan of fables or a, a longtime reader of fables to guess the power set of some of these, because if, if they're, if you know who Peter Pan is and you know, everybody knows who Peter Pan is, you know that that's going to be a powerful character. Same with Capetto, same with Pinocchio. I mean, it's, and so that's the central conceit as all these players are moving into place toward a final battle as, as ultimately this 12 issue series deals with the fallout of what happened in the main series proper that ended whatever, five years ago, where the, where the Mondays are now aware that these fairy tale creatures exist. And we got Cinderella who's, who's been essentially fired from the U S government. She was helping them out and she ends up having to become more political. So she's, there's certain things she has to do uh, in order to get, uh, to increase her knowledge of how to deal with things politically on our world, because it's a little bit different than a, than a magical based world. And in any event, all these pieces are moving into place and all told with, by Bill Willingham. I wish, I know that we all know not to harp on it. Bill Willingham has sort of opened fables up to the public domain. Uh, DC has countered that, you know, and probably no future creator wants to touch fables because they don't want to get sued by DC or they don't want the headache. I find it so unfortunate because I love this series and fans of this series, I'm sure will be picking this up. And then, sadly, the next issue, 162, will be the last one that we're going to get possibly for a long time. Uh, I'm hoping that I hoping that we get something in the future, but uh, we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I I'm really enjoying this and I'm looking forward to how it all wraps up. Does it feel like it's going to wrap up in a satisfying place if it, we don't do anything for whatever I, I think decades? It, 
Well, I think it likely will uh, because only because Bill Willingham, I'm just going by past story arcs. He always seemed to wrap up a story arc in a way that I look forward. To. He always left it open-ended, but there was I was always satisfied that more or less most of the time that that it ends on he resolves all the all the major plot lines but he always leaves something up to tease for future stories so that'll probably happen here too because he finished writing this apparently two years ago so this has been a long time coming yeah Yeah. it's been been a long time and i don't know any details i'm not privy to any you know whatever um willingham has said some things in the past that have been problematic I, i don't necessarily agree with the guy when it comes to, to you know politically speaking or what have you but regardless it's, it's a real shame because fables you know by all accounts is just a fantastic property and it's been done really really well and it's it's not it's not like the things that he said I, you know he's probably exaggerating to some extent the truth you know is usually somewhere in the middle when you have two parties that are disagreeing like this but it, it's really not very hard to to look at the things that he said and believe them to be true, especially when you start getting corporate lawyers involved. Yeah. Of course they're going to screw over the creatives. That's just the way that it goes. And it shouldn't be that way. And it, it makes me sad, even though I'm not a fan of fables, it makes me sad that it's, it's come to this because for fans of fables and for bill as a creator, I think he's just probably been mistreated, unfortunately. So, uh, all right. Last book we're going to talk about in detail, Speed Force number three from writer Jarrett Williams. Art is by Danielle DiNiculo, Francesco Moratorino, and George Combatis, along with Tom Derenick. Colors by Andrew Dahlhaus and Pete Pantazis. Letters by Dave Sharp. Uh, this issue was okay, but overall, this series, this is not for me. <laughs> this is not for me. Like the way everybody talks, like don't go into this thinking that you're going to recognize the way Roundhouse talks or the way Wallace West talks or anything like that. Like the way they, they speak to each other, it, it's very much in kind of the vernacular of, of young kids that I hate to be the you know whole, get off my lawn, old man, but – it is so clear to me that I am not the target audience for this. It, it very much has a manga feel. It's very kinetic, both in, in terms of the, the dialogue, the way that it's paced, the way the art is presented, the speed of the story. And I, I'm trying to follow along and understand what's going on. But as much as I think I understand what's going on, at the end of the day, there's something wrong with the speed force. Oh, my God, has that story been done to death? And I, I just don't – I don't find anything here that I can relate to that pulls me in. Um, I recognize that the art is th- – that is quality art, especially at the, the pace that it's done and the detail and how many characters are in it and, and you know how fast-paced the art is along with the, the actual narrative. But it, it, this is lost on me. Like I, I feel like this is so far beyond like my taste and, and, and not aimed at me that I can't even like really um, I can't do a good job of, of like objectively critiquing it. <laughs> you know, it would be like me going to like a ballet and then saying, Oh yeah, this ballet dancer didn't do this or didn't do that, whatever. Like I have no context. Like I don't know anything about ballet. This is so clearly manga inspired and, and aimed at like a different generation of reader that it, it like, I don't even want to say, man, this just doesn't work for me or whatever. Like, I, it, this is just over my head or, or like completely to the side. Like, I, I, 
it's it's just not for me. I, I I'm not going to say it's good. I'm not going to say it's bad. Clearly, the uh, creators are are putting their all into it because there, there's a lot of work here. There's a lot of it's very dialogue heavy. There's a lot of art. There's a lot of characters. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe you have a different take, Rocky. What do you think? Uh, uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm but I'm I'm going to be uh, first of all. I'm going to defend our our generation. Okay. <laughs> okay. You and I are approximately the same age. Uh, yep. and it's, you know, mine starts with a five and ends with a five. So, uh, but, you know, I read this three times. I read this with the challenge of trying to figure out what is going on. And I'm still not entirely sure. I, I think this is not well written. And I think the art's all over the place. And I think the, the, there's way too much dialogue. It's, it's crowded on every page. I... It shouldn't be a chore to read. It shouldn't be that difficult to figure. I challenge anybody of any generation to tell me what the hell is going on. Straight up. Straight up challenge. Anybody who thinks they know what's going on, please enlighten me in, in, in the comments. Now, I think that, I mean, it's funny that you said that, that there's something wrong with the Speed Force. I never got that this issue. What I got this issue is that this, this music meister is creating an app that's, unlawfully using data from all these people that want to go to a concert. And there's like, just like the Taylor Swift concert where, where that, where the system broke down because everybody wants to buy a Taylor Swift ticket. There's this, there's this musician named, I guess the music meister that Who's this Taylor Swift you speak of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, who Taylor? Uh, but uh, well, she's got this comic book out. You should check it out. If, if you got $50, you can buy her comic book. <laughs> Speculator alert. But uh, so I think that there's that going on. Uh, the, the voices of Mr. Terrific. I, I'm not I'm not really sure. Uh, and Avery, I'm not sure what Avery is doing. I'm not really there. There's a conversation here that Blue Beetle has with Wallace West. Where, while Mr. Terrific, yeah, they're they're getting their hair cut while this crisis is going on. That's, yeah, that's when I knew I was I, like, I yeah, I don't like just the word their vocabulary. I'm like, man, I'm old. But, like I I don't, I don't understand the logic of that. And they're having this conversation as if, as if you know, I I don't know. It's supposed to be making sense. And these characters don't really know each other that well, but I guess you want to make them friends. And okay, they're getting their haircut, and they've got some real and cool haircuts. Wallace, yeah, finishes getting his haircut. And he holds the mirror up, and he was, he's like, "Like, is getting your haircut? I yeah. used to have hair. I remember. Uh, <laughs> and never at any point when I got my haircut that I ever hold the mirror up and was like, "Bling! I got my haircut. Wow, <laughs> yeah. this is so cool!" Like, like. You're getting your haircut was something you went and did because you had to because your hair was too long. It wasn't like something fun. I, I, yeah. Again, I was making myself sound old. I just make well, myself sound old. Well, one of the things that this comic would benefit from immensely is there's so much completely, entirely superfluous dialogue. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. Almost 80% of the dialogue doesn't serve the narrative. Now, I get it. You want to... I get that you want to show that you understand how young people talk. I get it. But when, when all they're doing is talking about stuff, that ha that's about stuff that has nothing to do with the plot, you lose the reader. Like, I, 
nowhere in here. There, there, there's one spot. But I, I'm not even going to bother trying to find it. Don't worry. But there's actually one spot where in, in one paragraph, it kind of gives you a clue as to what might be going on. But then right away, we got it's, it's overwrought with dialogue and talking heads and little squishy heads in the, on the panels. And, and I'm thinking, I mean, it's I mean, it's like I say, I mean, you're laughing and I'm laughing, too. I'm kind of laughing for the wrong reasons here. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, I don't, th- this is a, this is a miss for me. And I, and I strongly question how many people who are, even if you, if you are young and you want to get into comic books, I don't know if this is going to pull you into the comic because even on the fight scenes and the action scenes, I, they don't make any sense. Even at the end here where, you know, where, where Wallace and Superboy confront Music Meister and their evidence seems to be purely speculative. They got no evidence. They just think that he's stealing data. Well, so go report him to the police. Like, what are you going to do? Beat him up? Like, I mean, you got no evidence. I mean, I mean, just you're going to like. I don't know what's at stake. I don't know what are they trying to stop. They're trying to stop a concert. Why? Let him do the concert and arrest him after. I, I don't. I don't. Like, I, like I just. I, I miss something entirely here. At no point does any character actually say to another character. By the way, what are we doing? <laughs> Other than talking about a concert, they're talking. They're talking, Rocky. They're talking. <laughs> like, I just—I mean, it's comical. It's comical. And, and and I read it. I did read it three times. So hey, man, you you, you sucked me in to read it three times. But I gotta tell you, man, I I only uh, read it. Yeah, I only read it twice, and it, it it was so incomprehensible to me. All I could think is, I I must be missing something. But maybe I'm not. Maybe you're right. But, but I, maybe I will. It's just bad. I do want to give a compliment. I mean, uh, to the artist. The artist here, uh, the artist is uh, the like three artists, four artists. Or, well, three, three or four artists. I mean, all of them. The amount of stuff that they cram on every page, yeah. which I'm going to tell you, doesn't really helps, doesn't really serve the narrative. It does display their artistic talent. There's a lot. Every aspect of every page is filled up, either with dialogue or their art. So there are they're all artistically gifted. Don't get me wrong. It's just not in service of the story, in my opinion. And it's just, you know, again, uh, but like you said, um, am I being a jerk by, by, by being more brutal? Like you said, you, you, you're afraid to be honest because, well, maybe it's just not, I'll say it's not for me. It's like, maybe it's like, I, it yeah, yeah, maybe I, maybe it's like when I, when I talk about Harley Quinn, Teeny Howard's Harley Quinn, it's just not for me because I don't really get what's going on. But at, at some point I got to say, you know, I've been reading, you know, on the one hand, we can be harsh on, on our, ourselves and be self-effacing, Jace. But at the same time, it's like we've been reading comics for, oh, for four yeah, decades. I don't, I, mean, any, I don't read any manga. I, I read no manga and, and never really have. Manga's so, great. I read manga. I read some manga. It's good stuff. This so is, all I can think, maybe this is what manga is. Maybe it's oh, – No, manga's maybe, way better. Maybe, maybe yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, this I guess, has a manga feel, but it's not not. It doesn't have the manga type of storytelling that I'm accustomed to. When I when I read free manga online, it's usually you know I read Chainsaw Man, that was amazing. But anyways, I digress. I'm not a manga expert by any stretch. But in anyways, I was a little bit of a mini rant. But yeah, if you're good. curious about manga, by the way, uh, I mentioned my chat with uh, Chip Zdarsky last week. He's got a podcast called Manga Splaining because uh, he when he started the podcast, hadn't read much manga. And so he invites some of his comic creator friends on, they introduce him to manga. It's a really good podcast. If you're, uh, if you're curious and want to learn more about manga. So anyway, that does it for uh, the individual issues uh, that were uh, of varying degrees of success this week. Uh, some of them, I don't even know if they were good or not. Cause I don't know. I'm an old man. What can I say? 
Uh, there's only one. Well, I guess there's two collections out this week. It's so interesting. Like I had to do a double take because they're they're for the same issues of Detective Comics. They're issues 1047 to 1058. But one of them is for the, f- the main series, and then one of them is for the backup. So that's why there's two different uh, collections, and they have a different name. So we have Batman, Shadows of the Bat, House of Gotham. Um, that is the backup by Matthew Rosenberg, Fernando Blanco, Jordi Belair. It had to do with uh, the kid that we weren't sure who it was at, at, at the beginning, and then Bruce Wayne goes to rescue him, and then, it, yeah, it goes from there. Uh, and then there also is a collection of the main story called The Tower, which was by Mariko Tamaki. Uh, again, same issues, 1047 to uh, 1058. So that's out this week as well. You can get one. You can get the other. You can get both if you're so inclined. Uh, but those are the only collections out this week. Uh, all right, Rocky, moment of truth. Uh, what's your book of the week this week? Uh, I am going, it was between, uh, straight up, it was between Green Lantern and Action Comics, but I got to go with uh, Action Comics. Uh, I just, I thought Jason Aaron did a really good job here. I find myself in the incredible position of, uh, I guess, you know, I, I'm not normally a Bizarro fan, but I guess I'm the opposite. <laughs> See what yeah. I did there? Um, and I, I enjoyed this. I thought he did a really good job for an opening issue. I mean, just again, the action right out of the gate that gets right to the point. A, a, well, a well-versed, believable uh, premise possessing a high degree of verisimilitude, given what we know about Bizarro, about the frustrations with the crises, his uh, invulnerability to magic, powering him up. Making you feel sorry for you. It's easy to have some sympathy for Bizarro. Understanding the plight that Superman is in. There's genuine stakes for the world, given given the power to let a set of Bizarro now. I think it works extremely well. And that's only the first issue. And so I really enjoyed it. What about yourself? Yeah, can't, do, can't, can't give a book of the week to a, a comic that turns Lois into a Bizarro. That's just not... <laughs> Not, not ever going to happen in my world. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Sandman. Uh, Wesley Dodd's Sandman, uh, for all the reasons that we said, you know, incredible Riley Rosmo art. Uh, you know, you, you, I mentioned it, you mentioned it. Those double page spreads uh, were just amazing. Uh, yeah, it might have been a little predictable. Uh, I, I really thought it was Wheeler that was the, the bad guy. Breckenridge makes total sense. Um, but really, the, the, the marriage of, um, of Riley Rosmo's art with uh, the narrative, the stakes that Venditti has been given us. Yeah. It's, it's very worthy of, uh, of my book of the week. So, uh, so that does it, everybody appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, as I mentioned, had a chat with Chip Zdarsky last week. Hope you all get a chance to listen to that. Also re-releasing all the um, spawn daily spawn episodes that we had released previously, uh, which was about God over 80 episodes. So it's going to be about three months before we uh, re-release everything. And then once we hit that spot, um, then we'll continue with, uh, with new episodes. So I uh, hope you all have a chance to, uh, to check those out and enjoy them. Uh, should be having Todd, Todd, that's Todd McFarlane on, uh, on pretty soon. Been talking with his publicity people. He's got a lot of announcements, a lot of stuff coming up in 2024 for Spawn. So it's a good year to get back on it. And um, if you're not familiar, it's it's basically the complete Spawn chronology, including crossovers and tie-ins and what have you. Uh, when we 
review issues of the main Spawn series, it'll be one issue per episode. But when we do a lot of the tie-ins, like the Violator miniseries or the Angela, Angela miniseries, for example, uh, we'll be doing a whole arc in one episode. Otherwise, we'll just be here all, uh, you know, for eternity trying to get them all uh, read and checked out. So hope you uh, enjoy. If you're curious about Spawn, you want to dip in from time to time, um, they're all available on uh, both the uh, podcast feed as well as the YouTube channel. So uh, speaking of YouTube, don't forget to head over to Rocky's channel. If you're listening to us on audio only, just head over to YouTube, Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. That's where you can find all uh, his content. You can find these DC spotlights every week. Uh, he did some countdowns for DC books last, uh, last year. So you can check those out. And if you're watching us on YouTube and you're curious about the other audio-only content, Spawn or otherwise, from the Comic Source, just go to wherever you get your podcast, do a search for the Comic Source, and subscribe. Uh, that's going to do it. Rocky, anything to add? Uh, no, uh, other than the fact that I'm still deciding, uh, uh, joining you on your Spawn reviews, that's uh, that's quite Yeah, the, you got quite three months to get Yes, you got three months to, to listen to all the previous I, episodes or yeah. read well, them. Get them. I, I do actually have the three. I've got this, the first three compendium sets of uh, uh, digitally of, of Spawn. So I, I'm i in a position where I could catch up. It's just we'll, – we'll see. We'll see. I do I do have some time to decide. So <laughs> Yeah, and we're still uh, trying to figure out whether we're going to finish off the Bad Idea books as well. Uh, again, I, I was sick all last week. I'm, I'm just kind of digging myself out of things I'm behind I, on. I should show. say there's uh, you got a lot of well wishes there from other people in the comments last week wishing you well. I oh, so, appreciate uh, that. Appreciate that everybody. I'm definitely on the men feeling a lot better. Thank God. So uh, anyway, we appreciate uh, you join us as always everybody and we'll talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The readings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.